Luke 24, 1 through 12. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. He is risen. Jesus is alive, and that changes everything. I know this is not the way that we really wanted to be celebrating Easter. I just want to recognize from the beginning uh, that uh, there's some disappointment with that. I'm disappointed with that. It's kind of a bummer that we have to be separated and do all this social distancing stuff. But I want to remind us that this is not the first time, and we are not the only ones who have been forbidden uh, to celebrate Easter together. In fact, I came across an article this past week by Jason Casper in Christianity Today, uh, which was entitled, Arab Christians Have Lost Easter Before. Here is what they learned. And the first sentence said, whether COVID-19 or ISIS, believers from Iraq, Syria, and Egypt know neither plague nor persecution can snuff out the Church of Christ. And that's true. And we went on to tell a story that in 2014, um, the coalition of Al-Qaeda-linked fighters overran the mostly Armenian city of Kassab in northwest Syria. And Holy Trinity Evangelical Church was among the churches that were ransacked that day as militant fighters destroyed the crosses, destroyed the church building, and many believers had to flee, some of them only in their pajamas, having to flee for their life, and they couldn't celebrate that Easter. See, we may find live streaming less than desirable for our worship service today, and it is. But praise God we have this, right? I mean, just this week it came out uh, in the news that the Chinese government is not allowing churches in China to live stream their, uh, their services. And they interviewed actually an underground pastor who said he had tried last week to live stream and had been shut down and that persecution is increasing and it's on the rise there. So we can choose today to be kind of bummed out about the fact that we can't celebrate Easter the way we want together as a family like we normally do or... We can choose to focus on the fact that Jesus is alive no matter what, and the church of Jesus Christ cannot be stopped, and it will not be stopped because Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. 
And if Jesus said that, you can take it to the bank. So Jesus is going to build his church. In Kroger yesterday, ran into some friends, and we were just talking about the fact that sports have ended, and we're all watching reruns of sports, right? But we get, we're having original church services. So sports may have been stopped, but the church hasn't been stopped. And, uh, and so Jesus is going to build his church, and he's building his church here at New Life. And so one of the things we wanted to do was be able to see pictures of people in our church. So here's some pictures of people in our church uh, who took pictures for this Easter uh, to send in. Some of them uh, took um, um, recent pictures that they already had and sent them in. And so we're going to scroll through these pictures. It's beautiful to see uh, the body of Christ at New Life uh, and to be able to rejoice. Even though we're not in person together, uh, it's great to see. Beautiful families. (laughs) Omar, we love you, brother. If you're watching, we love you. We're praying for healing, Omar. All right. You know, just watching that, uh, it just makes me long to see all you guys even more. And uh, I I miss seeing uh, everybody. And isn't it beautiful just to see just the diversity of the body of Christ? It's just like heaven's going to be like that. It's going to be people from every tribe and nation and tongue and kindred. And we're really blessed at New Life to have a diversity of ethnic backgrounds and economic backgrounds and ages and everything. So that's really Really beautiful and really wonderful. Well, today I want to I just talk to you for a few minutes about why it's so important to remember on this day that we have a living Jesus. We serve a living Jesus. Here's the question. What difference does the resurrection make? Especially, what difference does the resurrection, resurrection make in the middle of a pandemic? Like where we are right now, what does it say to us Today. Um, one of the most famous African-American women of the 19th century uh, was a woman by the name of Sojourner Truth. She was, that wasn't the name she was born with. That was the name she took later on. And she was an itinerant evangelist. And uh, she was very famous for a number of things. But one of the things she was very famous for was that in 1850, in Boston, she was at a meeting where Frederick Douglass was speaking. Frederick Douglass, uh, you may remember, was one of the most famous African-American men of the 19th century. He was an electrifying public speaker. I mean, he could light up a crowd. He could ignite a crowd. Uh, And so he was speaking, and uh, he was very discouraged that very day, very disturbed and depressed by the recent enactment of the Fugitive Slave Law. And he wondered aloud uh, from the stage, uh, you know, if if they were ever be free and if the slaves were going to have to resort to violence to free themselves... And Sojourner Truth was in the crowd that day. And when he said that, when Frederick Douglass said that, she shouted out, Frederick, is God dead? They kind of arrested the whole uh, service. Uh, And of course, it's a great question. It's a great question for us today because if God is dead, hopelessness makes sense, especially during a quarantine. I mean, if God is dead, there's nothing that he can do about COVID-19. If God is dead, we're on our own and we are all alone. But of course, he isn't dead. He's alive. And because he's alive, he can do something about our situation. See, a dead Jesus don't help. I know that's bad grammar. 
for all the English teachers watching this right now. I know that's bad grammar, but that's good theology. A dead Jesus doesn't help you. See, a lot of people, they, they don't serve a risen, triumphant, alive today Jesus. They serve a dead Jesus. And I guess I get that because a dead Jesus doesn't bother you, right? I mean, the Pharisees, the religious elite, the Roman government, they didn't like the living Jesus, because he was always challenging their power. He was undermining their uh, so-called lordship. He was healing people. He was bringing freedom. Uh, living Jesus was a threat. And they didn't like that. So they killed him. And they put him in a grave. Got him in a box now. <laughs> Finally shut that guy up. And dead Jesus was under control. Stone in front of it, seal it up good, put some guards out front, because a dead Jesus can be controlled. Dead Jesus doesn't bother you. He doesn't require anything of you. See, dead Jesus can be admired without being followed. And a lot of people in our culture do that today. I think Jesus was cool, but he's not in charge of my life. See, a lot of people see Jesus as a historical figure like Aristotle or Thomas Jefferson or, or, or Booker T. Washington who said some pretty cool things. And, and so people in, in the culture say, well, you know, Jesus said love everybody. That's kind of cool. Love it. Yeah, it's like until you realize he meant everybody. Like Jesus said, love your enemies. Well, that's not as cool now. But here, here's the problem with the dead Jesus he can't actually give you the power today to do what he told you to do 2,000 years ago. See, a dead Jesus can't give you power to actually love the people who don't love you. You need, for that, a living Jesus. Because a dead Jesus doesn't have the power to satisfy the deepest longings of the human heart. But the living Jesus, the risen Jesus, can satisfy every longing of the human heart. I mean, if I know anything at all about every single person who's either in this room or watching this over live stream, it's that you have deep down inside a deep longing for something. Every one of us have it. I have it. You have it. It's a deep desire. And if we're honest, you know it never really gets satisfied. Even when we get everything our way, there's something in, inside us that's never really satisfied. It's like this vacuum. And what you need to know is that a dead Jesus isn't going to help you with that. Only the risen Jesus can satisfy the deepest longing of the human heart. And there's a lot of different kinds of longings. I'm just going to give three of them and, and just respond and, and show you how Jesus satisfies these longings. There's three kinds of longing. There's a longing for life, a longing for love, and a longing for liberty. All of us have this. Every person hearing my voice has a longing inside of you for life, for love, and for liberty. Let's look at the three and see how Jesus satisfies them. Number one, the living Jesus conquered death. The living Jesus conquered death. We all have a longing to live, right? We all want to stay alive. We all have a survival instinct. We want to live, and we want to live well. We want to be happy. Raise your hand if you do not want to be happy. Okay, nobody in the room raised their hand. That's good. So hopefully nobody at home raised their hand because we all want to be happy. We want to enjoy life. We want to stay alive. This drive for immortality, for the fountain of youth, isn't something that was just pursued by Ponce de Leon. That, that was, you know, back, way back when. There, people put billions of dollars into it today. And, and with this whole fight with COVID-19, the coronavirus, there's a lot of talk about death and dying, and we want to beat it. 
And social distancing is there in order to beat this thing. I mean, there's a lot of things that divide our community, but it seems like recently we seem to be getting united around a common enemy. We want to beat this virus. We want to live, right? There's a drive. There is something in the human heart that feels like death is wrong. It isn't right. We have to beat death. And the truth is, there is only one person who ever overcame death, and it's the risen, living Jesus. Romans 14, verse 9 says this, For this reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. See, it wasn't just that he died, it was that he died and rose to life that he's Lord of both the dead and the living. When I was a younger kid, uh, one of my favorite stories was the Jungle Book. Now, I, I came to the Jungle Book through Disney's version of it, and as an adult only came to actually Rudyard Kipling's original version of the Jungle Book. And in that, Mowgli, who's the man cub, he asked the question, what's the most feared thing in the jungle? Like, what, what would that be? What, what, who would be the most feared in the jungle? And he's told that when two animals uh, meet on a narrow path, that one has to step aside for the other one. And so the animal that would step aside for no one would be considered the most feared in the jungle. So Mowgli wonders who that might be. You know, would that be an elephant? I mean, I would think not many things would step aside for an elephant. Would it be a lion? Probably not many animals, you know, uh, are going to force a lion to step aside. And then the wise old owl says, the most feared thing in the jungle is death. It steps aside for no one. And of course he's right. Death is the one enemy that gets all of us. We all one day are going to die. Death steps aside for no one. Except it did for Jesus. Revelation 1, verse 18. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and hell. Who holds the keys of hell and death? The living one, right? And it says, notice it didn't say, I was dead, now I'm alive for another 70, 75 years or so. No, he said, I'm alive forever and ever. See, death stepped aside for Jesus, and that means he's the most feared thing in the jungle. It means he's the Lord. And you know what else it means? And here's the good news for you and for me. It means he has the power to save me. In the middle of a pandemic, not even death can hold me now. If you've been around New Life for a while, you probably have heard me say this before. But, you know, Jesus ruined every funeral he went to. Ruined it. I mean, they had planned out, they were doing a procession, and he raised the dude from the dead, and now what are you going to do with all the food that people from church gave you? Every one of them. And do you know that one day he's going to reverse every funeral for every believer in him? I want you to think about this. Every funeral for a believer is temporary. It feels permanent. But every funeral for a believer is temporary. It's like when, you, when your kids were young and you were putting your kids to bed and you said to them, I'll see you in the morning when the sun comes up. Because you knew, right? They, they were going to go to sleep. They were going to sleep for a while. It was going to be dark for a while. Then the sun was going to come up and you were going to see him again. There is coming a day when the sun is going to come up. 
And he's going to ruin every funeral of every believer. Why? Because when it comes to Jesus, even death has to step aside. And here's the good news. Since death stepped aside for Jesus, for those of us who are in Christ, one day it's going to step aside for us too. I mean, the believer can actually be defiant in the face of death because our resurrected king overcame the grave. And that's the truth. So, there's got this longing for life. And the way Jesus satisfies that is that Jesus, the living Jesus, conquered the grave. But the longing for life is not the only drive in us. In fact, perhaps an even deeper drive than that and what gives our life meaning is that we long to be loved. Every person wants to be loved and wants to be loved unconditionally. And the living Jesus satisfies that because the living Jesus is present. He's present. See, a dead Jesus can't love you now because he's dead. He's not present. I mean, he's not here. He's in a grave somewhere that you made for him. But the living, risen Jesus is here, and he loves you. And this is mind-blowing, absolutely mind-blowing. He wants to have a relationship with you today. See, Christmas and Easter, they're, they're actually bookends on a story that says essentially this, that the person who knows you better than you know yourself, the person who knows everything about you, the stuff that you let other people know and the stuff you don't let other people know, the guy who knows all of that about you still comes for you. Somebody loves you that much to know everything about you and still comes for you and dies on the cross for you to have a relation. God made you to love you. He redeemed you to love you. Somebody loves you that much. And you guys... That deep yearning in you, that longing to be loved unconditionally is only going to be satisfied by the one who gave everything for you. A dead Jesus can't love you like that. Matthew 28 verse 20 says this, I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know who said that? The risen, living Jesus said, I'm going to be with you. A number of years ago I read a story about a uh, Muslim in Africa who converted uh, to follow Jesus. He became a follower of Jesus, and he was asked by a family member, why would you do that? And he said, well, let me put it this way. He said, let's assume you're on a journey, and on this journey you come to a fork in the road, and when you get to the fork in the road, there's two people at the fork. One's dead, one's alive. Which one would you ask for directions? See, a dead Jesus can't give you directions today. You can't have a relationship with the dead guy. But in that text that Rose read, and Rose, you did a fantastic job reading that text, the, the, the text says, Luke 24, suddenly, verse 4, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? See, the resurrection means Jesus is alive. And all too often, like the women on day one, we look for Jesus in the wrong places. He isn't dead. He's not the subject for a, a, a dusty old textbook. He isn't an ancient artifact. You don't find Jesus by scouring, you know, ancient maps and scrolls and finding a hidden tomb that contains his secret. No, if you're going to meet Jesus, you're going to encounter him alive today. And here's the absolutely crazy part of this whole thing. You don't have to get good enough to have this relationship. 
This love comes to us not because we're good enough, because nobody's good enough to earn this kind of love. Nobody. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before we loved him, before we reached out to him, before we even saw our sin and our failures and our mistakes, he loved us so much he died for us and he took our punishment for our sin on himself. You know, there's there's a lot of talk about the coronavirus today, but there is a far deadlier virus out there. A, A virus that always has a kill rate of 100%. It's called sin. And the result of sin is death. You see that from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. Sin is infectious. Sin is lethal. Sin is always deadly. And the only person who can rescue us is the risen, living Jesus who took the virus of sin upon himself so that he himself could become the antidote. So that we could come to him. However we are. Wherever we are, no matter how broken or bruised or fallen, no, no matter how much pain we've experienced in life, no matter how much pain we've caused in life, no matter what the burdens we bear or the sorrow or the shame, just come as you are. The living Jesus is inviting you today. To fulfill that longing to be loved inside you. There's a third and a final uh, longing that we have, and it's the longing not only to live and to be loved, but we have a longing for liberty. That's kind of an old word we don't use a whole lot, but it just means to be free. We want to be free, and here's the deal. It's only the living Jesus that sets us free. It's only the living Jesus that saves See, here's what happens. Sometimes the truth is we look in the wrong places and to the wrong things to fill those longings. And the official and proper word for that is idolatry. And idolatry is another word we don't use very much in our culture, but it just means looking to anything or anyone other than God to make you okay. Whatever it is that you kind of look to to go, okay, I'm okay because whatever that is, is your idol. And invariably, idolatry leads to chains. It leads to bondage. Sometimes the bondage looks different. Sometimes it looks like addictions. Sometimes it looks like chemical addictions or behavioral addictions. And addictions are in some ways very different, and in some ways they're all the same. They suck away your freedom. They make you less you. They bind you. They imprison you. They cripple you. And, and, and if that's you today and, and you're watching this and, and you're struggling with an addiction, I have no condemnation for you at all. Here's better news. Jesus doesn't have any condemnation for you. But he does have an invitation to come to him. And sometimes it's not addictions at all. Sometimes that bondage, it looks like insecurities and strongholds in our minds. See, what happens is things happen to us and we begin to believe a lie about who God is or who we are or who everybody else is. And it controls us. These strongholds can control us and, and, and paralyze us. And sometimes it's not addictions, and sometimes it's not strongholds or lies we believe. Sometimes it's just infirmities. It's just infirmities that have us bound and crippled. And listen, if Jesus is dead, that's it. 
That's the end of the story. I mean, there's not much hope. If Jesus is dead, then bondage is just a way of life. If Jesus is dead, then we're just going to have to settle with being crippled forever. It's checkmate. But if Jesus is alive, there's always hope. Because there's always another move that he can make. I'll close with this story, unless I think of another one. Uh, during the pandemic, uh, the boys and I are, have tried to learn how to play chess. We went out as a fam- back when you could go to Target as a family, and uh, we went to, out and got a chess board. And uh, Elijah and I were playing chess uh, early on. And uh, there was one game we were playing, and it was just before dinner, and I, you know, I moved, made some moves and said, checkmate, I think I got, I think I got you. Your king is, can't go anywhere. And he was like, yeah, you know, you won. And so we went and ate dinner, had a nice dinner as a family. And after dinner, I just moved the chessboard down. Uh, Elijah's looking at the chessboard, and he's looking at the pieces, and he goes, I think the king has another move. And I'm thinking, why didn't I put the pieces away? for dinner like why did I leave it out and I look at it and and again we're just learning we're you know I'm not very good and I'm, I look at it and I go actually you're right he's like oh well and I'm like no no we're finishing the game right we're, we're gonna finish the game and so we sat down and we played for like another 20 minutes after we thought it was checkmate we discovered it wasn't checkmate and we played for another 20 minutes before the game was really over and it reminded me of another story that I'd heard many years ago and it's become very famous Um, since Billy Graham told it in 1955. Billy Graham told it, and there's a number of different versions of the story. Um, um, uh, Lots of public speakers, lots of preachers, motivational speakers have used this story. So I tried to dig down to get the original version of the story, what really happened. And the oldest version I could find was August 18th of 1888 in the Columbia Chess Chronicle, which was, at the time, the only weekly paper in America dedicated to chess. I didn't even know there was such a thing, but in 1888, there was a weekly paper dedicated to chess, right? And so the story goes like this, and this, I think, is the earliest version of the story, 1888, that two friends, one of them was like a a chess master, grandmaster, whatever whatever you call it, uh, they went to the house of a friend, and in the house of this friend, he was an art collector, and he had a painting done by the German artist Moritz Retz, or something like that. Excuse me if I slaughtered his name. Um, uh, my apologies. Um, and the title of the painting is Checkmate. And you're going to see the painting up here. Uh, on the left is the devil. Uh, and the devil is playing chess with this young man. Uh, and the devil is kind of getting a little grin on his face because he's got checkmate. And the young man is in checkmate to Satan. And he's lost and there's no hope. And that's what this was supposed to communicate. But on this day where this grandmaster of chess was looking at the painting, he was studying the painting for a moment, and he said, wait a second, the king has another move. And they looked at it for a while and said, wait. And so they took a chessboard out, and they set it up just like the painting was. And this chess grandmaster took the boy's side, and the other guy took Satan's side, looking like Satan had won, and the grandmaster came back and from the boy's side won the game. It wasn't checkmate after all. The king had another move. Listen, because King Jesus is alive, 
he always has another move, right? We are never in checkmate to Satan. Our king always has another move. I don't care what the news says. Our king has another move. I don't care what the doctor said to you. Our king has another move. I don't care what your past looks like or how much your circumstances look like checkmate. Our risen, reigning, living king always has another move. And that's part of what we celebrate on Easter. That even when it looks like it's over, it ain't over. So I think it's appropriate for us today to respond. And this will be our altar call for for those of you uh, sitting wherever you are watching this live stream. Um, I know many of you picked up the elements for communion. If you'll take those out right now, and there are very few people who are here, if you'll take those out. We want to remember what Jesus did for us. And remember that our king has another move no matter what you're facing today, no matter what's going on in your life. We're going to remember what he's done. And in particular today, I want us, as we come in communion and we're remembering Jesus and remembering what he's done, I want us to bring whatever fears we may have, whatever you're thinking about this coronavirus, I want you just to bring this to Jesus right now. You know, Dr. Timothy Tennant, who's the president of Asbury, he had a blog a couple weeks ago and he reminded us that the word corona that is being used for the coronavirus in Latin, it comes from the word that means crown. Corona means crown. And it was named that because under a microscope, the virus is called corona because it actually looks like a thorny crown. In fact, you'll see a picture of it here. That is a picture of the coronavirus and these little spikes coming out of it, little thorny crowns. I want to remind us that as we take communion today that the coronavirus is not the first crown of thorns. That Jesus already bore a crown of thorns. On Good Friday, our family watched the Passion of the Christ together. As we watch Jesus being flogged and and beaten and spit upon and mocked and then a crown of thorns shoved down on his head, I was reminded of what he took for us. How his body was broken and his blood was shed for us. 